0: Welcome to the green rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis on a weekly basis hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. This week is one of those weeks where it's just one of our hosts as Ann was off leaving Lewis to speak with a truly interesting guest, Matt Carnes from Green Wave Advisors. If you have an interest in investing in cannabis stocks, this one is well worth the listen as Matt is one of the sharpest guys in the industry. If you're not familiar with this firm, Greenwave Advisors provides financial research and analysis of the American cannabis industry and has consistently generated accurate and relevant legal marijuana insight. They're the only independent firm to bring Wall Street investment research credentials to this emerging sector. So fire up your E Trade account and get ready to take some notes. Don't sit back, lean forward. And now, on to our interview with Matt Carnes.
1: Hey man, thanks for joining us today. Um, you know, it's just you and me. Anne would normally be doing this with, with me, but she's off doing who the heck knows what, but she can't. She just didn't have the time for you. Um, so, well, I'm familiar with GreenWave. Can you tell us all what you guys do? Yeah, sure.
2: Happy to. Uh, so, GreenWave Advisors, I'm the founder. I'm based in New York City. We're based in New York City. Uh, GreenWave was founded about four and a half years ago. Um, to provide financial research and analysis for the emerging cannabis industry. Um, by way of background, uh, I worked on Wall Street as an equity analyst. I worked on the sell side uh, at Bear Stearns, at Cowan, and which is now and um, uh, First Union, which is now uh, Wells Fargo, uh, mostly covering uh, radio broadcasting and satellite communication stocks. Uh, when I and at Bear Stearns, consumer internet. Um, When I went to the buy side, I became more of a generalist, covered those sectors as well as several others. Uh, Prior to that, I began my career uh, as a CPA. I came up the ranks in public accounting, um, and then worked for a couple of uh, multinational companies in various financial roles. Um, So in 2010, I want to say 2009, 2010, um, our fund blew up as the whole world was turning upside down as a result of the financial meltdown. Um, so at that point, my mother was also sick with cancer. Um, after she passed, uh, wow. I, I just thought, well, gee, you know, if she only had medical marijuana, it would have made her landing a lot more smoother, um, because she opted out for chemo. And so, um, I, after she passed, I was reading something about medical marijuana and thought, gee, you know, if only mom had this, uh, it would have made things a little bit easier for her towards the end of her life. Uh, I, I went up to Boston uh, to what was my first POT conference, not knowing what to expect.
1: What well, what year was this?
2: This was 2014. This was uh, March of 2014. Okay. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised, you know, really not knowing what to expect. There was a couple of folks that sparked my interest. They appear to be, you know, just pretty much mainstream investor types Um, I went back, this was more of an operational type of conference gathering. Uh, I went back a couple of weeks later to another conference that was more focused on investors. And there was a little bit more Wall Street types in the crowd. And I thought, okay, well, if these guys are here, there must be something real about it. And interestingly, in that crowd was Brendan Kennedy Hmm. and in that crowd was Troy Dayton. So I really do feel...
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Who I know who they are, but who are Brendan Kennedy and who are Troy Dayton?
2: Well, Brendan Kennedy is the CEO of Tilray, uh, which is one of the largest licensed producers in Canada. They just listed on the um, Nasdaq uh, a couple of months ago.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about them coming up.
2: Yeah, yep. And he's also the chairman, I believe that's his title at uh, Privateer Holdings. Um, and then there's Troy Dayton, who is the CEO of the Arcview Group what the largest, uh, you know, angel network, um, for the cannabis industry. So, uh, just meeting those two folks, uh, those two guys, I, I, you know, sat well, I, I, my gut told me, okay, this is real. Um, there were a few others along the way. Um, and then, um, I went that summer. uh, It seems like, like,
1: by the way, it seems like everybody has that, that gestalt moment where like, Oh, this is real. Like, this is not, you know, not a bunch of guys sitting around getting stoned. It's it's real business.
2: Yes. Yep. It really is. And it was really hard for other people to understand that four and a half years ago, because when I had those conversations, hey, Matt, what are you doing now? Um, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something in marijuana. What are you crazy? God, gee.
1: No, it's what are you high? Yeah. First, like, you right?
2: know, like, what are you smoking, dude? You know, <laughs> that type of thing. So it really, you know, I had to stick with my gut because I was telling myself, you know, these people didn't see the people I saw. They don't know. And also just being a sell side analyst and a buy side analyst, um, it, I've seen other emerging industries and you kind of see the same, you know, the same sentiment, uh, experience the same sentiment from early all people early on like, Oh, this is never going to work. Oh, this is, you know, the naysayers. Um, but as you develop the skill and you see things and you've been around the world, you kind of realize that your, your intuition um, is probably your best guide, um, as you move forward. And so, uh,
1: and in this industry, it's different, right? I mean, it's, it's, there is a 60 to a hundred billion dollar market that already exists and, and something like 10 billion of that is legal. So, you still it's not like you this industry is is betting on a a something to develop it's betting on converting the illicit market into the licit market so I, you know it's a fundamentally different thing than like the internet boom or the crypto bubble that we saw last year
2: absolutely and this is something that touches people that you know really you know, you could really, you know, it's tangential, you can, or it's tangible, I should say. It's it's something that, you know, most people, um, not necessarily the product that gets you high, but there's, you know, other aspects of, of the cannabis plant and that will benefit people in everyday life. Um, people don't realize that. Um, you know, eating cereal or um, you know some of these soft drinks that will likely have CBD in them and so forth. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um but to your point, yes, I mean, this is a proven market. We know that it is a plant that actually you know has benefits in many different ways.
1: so you know, um... It is a proven market, and the and the uh, but 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 there's an expression of that market that's the stock market, right? And your background is the, the the buy and sell side, and you understand how to analyze stocks as well, if not better than other people. So we're recording this on September 21st, and in my office I have CNBC on all day, and and we have been representing cannabis companies for a very long time. And that network, as a network, has been really resistant to covering the industry. And it seems like this week they have gone. All pot all the time, and I think a lot of that has been around Tilray's stock, right? You had mentioned them. They 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 went nuts this week, right? They started out in the, in the, in the hundred dollar range. They peaked at three hundred bucks, and they're back in the the, the below one fifty. Um, and it's it's still even at like one hundred and fifty bucks, it's got a market cap of over ten billion dollars. Um, all of these Canadian stocks seem to have crazy high valuations. Can you make an argument? I mean, either way, is it, are they right, like right, right-priced? Are they overpriced? Like, how are you looking at these stocks?
2: Oh, they're clearly overpriced. I, there's no rationale. Nothing moves up like you know, fifty percent, twenty percent, thirty percent a day. Rationally, um, I think it's just there's just a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm of the recreational market um, coming to Canada, October seventeenth. Um, I think there are a lot of people out there. And, and this also, you know, the, the mere fact that Tilray listed directly on the NASDAQ is very appealing. That will um, attract some level of institutional money. Um, and, you know, even just, you know, average portfolio managers that want to trade for their own account, um, you know, feel have a little bit more comfort level knowing that, you know, these stocks are listed on a, US, a major U.S. exchange. Um, but it, it, there is really no rationale. I mean, it, you know, technically, a, a, a stock should trade on future value, the present value of, you know, expected cash flows. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's really no rhyme or reason. And one thing I noted was the day there was a the day that the uh, Tilray announced that they were going to export some uh, cannabis into the U.S. for medical research, the stock traded just went straight up as a result of that announcement. And if you put that into perspective, I mean, the DEA has only authorized about 5,400 pounds they're about to, and they've opened the window. Besides the University of Mississippi, they opened the door for other applicants. There are about 25 other applicants. So we only know of Tilray that is accepted. Even if they had all 9,400 pounds, I mean, I'm sorry, 5,400 pounds. If you kind of convert that to a dollar amount, that's like at 1,500 bucks a pound. That's there's no way that would justify the movement in the stock.
1: So, so this is this is irrational exuberance, right? This is this is the definition of a bubble.
2: Yep. And it's all, it's all news. And there's, you know, a lot of reasons people are getting excited because of, you know, all the other industries that are swarming around uh, cannabis, you know, the, the, and I'm sure, you know, you'll have questions about consolation Browns, but you know, there's, there's a lot of companies on the sidelines vying for a spot in the, in the world of cannabis. And that's also, you know, propelling these valuations.
1: Yeah. I, I I mean, it's, I work with a lot of these companies and um, some of these CEOs are like they, they they the best CEOs are the ones who don't pay attention to their share price day in and day out and really just run their business. But some of these guys who are seeing this crazy appreciation are you know, walking with a swagger and the other ones whose stock are not going up as fast are, have this FOMO, this fear of missing out. Um I, I, I don't want to get into those because I have a que- a different question for you though. You know, we're, we're like I said, we're recording this at the end of September. Um, a couple of weeks from now, October 17th is the day that Canada goes adult use across the country. Um, has this been priced in and you, do you think, do you think that we're going to see another pop or are people going to sell on the date? Like, what does this date mean?
2: Well, I think it's, it's, it's sort of just a milestone and I, don't think, in fact, I think there'll be more of a sell-off as we get you know near that date uh, because I don't think uh, you know these recreationals the recreational market will be all that significant in the first year, year and a half. In fact, it's you know likely to be very lackluster for a number of reasons. And so I do think that there'll be a sell-off. But I do think, you know, headlines every day, it seems like there's another type of an announcement, whether it's m whether it's, you know, somebody investing uh, some, you know, strategic in, um, investor, a relationship, um, you know, supply agreement, whatever it is. The, the news, news de jour uh, is what's really moving these stocks.
1: So you advise um, uh, institutions and individuals you know and understanding how to to look at the industry right um and, and and part of what you've done is taken a look at the 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 uniquely strange relationship between the u s banking industry and the cannabis, the cannabis industry. can you talk about some of the data that you discovered um i think it was late last year or early this year and 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 also put that into context with like the the constellation investment was you know, managed by investment banks like Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo, but J.P. Morgan and Wells won't bank, like take deposits from cannabis companies. So, can you talk about like this whole strange universe?
2: Yeah, so it's it's one of the bottlenecks, um, and and just one of the overhangs on the industry right now in the U.S. is the fact that because marijuana cannabis remains a Schedule One, financial institutions. Uh, generally, will not accept deposits or do any banking businesses business with any um, you know any business that is involved in the in the sector or plant touching businesses. I should say um, those that are directly um, you know involved with it day to day operations. Um, so basically, um, the federal government, then the the FinCEN, the Financial Enforcement Crimes Division of the U.S. Treasury. Uh, They came in uh, when under the Obama administration, when the coal memo was issued, which for your listeners who are not familiar with the coal memo, uh, these were a set of guidelines that were issued by the Department of Justice under Obama, uh, which basically said, uh, you know, the states, the federal government will not interfere uh, with the state's uh, regulated uh, cannabis markets so long as there are certain guidelines that are adhered to. And this is all spelled out in the Cole memo, um, which, you know, Jeff Sessions later rescinded.
1: Well, and it, but there were also those, the FinCEN notes in the memo, right? I mean, that was the, that was the bigger, that was as most important or some people would say most important.
2: Exactly. So FinCEN said, okay, well bank, you, we'll let you uh, bank a cannabis business, but you have to make sure that your customer is in full compliance with the call Memo, which, which was what we just talked about. And, you know, many banks, you know, it instilled the fear of God in many of these banks because, you know, how do they have uh, the, the 100% assurance that their customers are in compliance? You know, it would be a tremendous overhead burden, compliance burden to ensure that these businesses are in full compliance. So many, many of these banks just say, you know what, we don't wanna have anything to do with this, like, you know, next. So, um, but many smaller smaller institutions are willing to take that risk for a large fee, of course. Um, and so that's why you have some banks that will accept deposits and many others that won't particularly the larger institutions um, because they have more, you know, at risk.
1: Right, totally. So. Um, you know, I, I think one of the other things that's really interesting about what's going on in the financial institution or the financial sector is that you, you know there are um, uh, dozens of companies out there that are either are have recently raised or are raising significant private capital. Right earlier this year, Acreage Holdings, full disclosure, a KCSA client, announced uh, a one hundred and nineteen million dollar private raise, which which you know to everybody's knowledge is the largest private raise in the cannabis. Industry. Um, this all came from either high-net-worth individuals or family offices. It did not really come from um, institutional investors, and institutional investors often are aggregate pools of investments from teachers' pensions, or cop pensions, or firefighter pensions. And and you know, I, I I'm in. I'm almost 50. I've been doing PR for 25 years. I've seen the tech bubble. I've seen other bubbles, or or new industries arise. All that was fueled by VC money or, or private equity money, and, and a lot of the benefit inured back to those teachers' pensions and the like. This industry is different, right? All the money is coming from high net worth individuals, so that people who already have the money are going to make the money when these companies all cash out. I mean, is this, is this a unique structure? I mean, what would you say could be, do, be done to, to bring a little more equity on the investing side?
2: Well, unfortunately, yeah, it is precluding many of the larger institutions from coming in just because of the mere fact uh, that it remains illegal. And many the pension funds and so forth, you know, they're not going to take the risk of investing in an activity that's illegal at the federal level. Right. Uh, but having said that, and yes, I'll, I'll Vast majority of the money is coming from, you know, just individuals. But bear in mind, there is a, a substantial amount also coming from venture capital firms and private equity firms because they don't and family offices because they don't. They're not. Um, um, they don't have to, you know, answer to, um, you know, an investment committee to the in the same context as a pension.
1: And they don't have and they don't have sin clauses in their are offering, you know, in their docs. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: So a good example is you know privateer Peter Thiel, who invested mm-hmm. in privateer, who's you know privateers in, into Tilray. So that's that's really you know a VC type of play into the industry. So I mean, you know, that's there are you know a lot of success stories that have um, you know starting to tape to unfold right now. Um, But I would say, you know, it is unfortunate that there is a very limited amount of opportunities for the average investor. But having said
1: before they go public, but once they go public, the the, these equity markets are almost exclusively retail, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to see. I mean, I think that's one of the big reason why we saw such a run up in Tilray. It has a very small float um, and you had a lot of excitement among retail investors.
1: Um, Hold on. Uh, Not everybody knows what a float is, so can you just literally take one quick second to explain what that means?
2: Oh, okay. So basically a float is the amount of shares that are outstanding that are tradable. So say, for example, a company issues 100 shares, there may only issue 20 of those shares may be available for the public.
1: And with Tilray... It's something like 15%, right?
2: It was like 15, I think it was 20% actually, but you know, still it's very small relative to the amount of shares that are outstanding. So the most, the majority of the shares and the ownership is with Tilray.
0: Right. Um, so, Tilray,
2: I mean, I'm sorry, with um, privateer.
1: Which, and and they are going to potentially put a bunch of those shares into the market in, in after the lockup period is over, right?
2: That's correct. So yeah, exactly um so we could see pressure on the shares at that point that could be a good entry point but who knows where the stocks will be then um but um you know certainly it seems to me that you know the stocks are starting to slowly come back down to earth
1: um you know some of them i mean you you look at companies like green thumb or you look at companies um even like medmen they've seen a significant increase in and canopy growth has seen a significant increase aurora has gone up a lot over the last uh, a couple of months and uh, more disclosure, Aurora is a, a client of ours. Um, speaking of Aurora, um, this year um, was the beginning of what could be a massive m M&A boom. You know, Aurora's purchase of Med Relief was, was a multi-billion dollar M&A. What do you think is going to happen over the next couple of months? Is, is, is this year, 2018, going to see a, a massive amount of, of MA in the last couple of months? Or are we going to see just what's 2019 look like?
2: Well, I do think we're going to see a continued um, streak of M&A activity in many different areas and certainly into 2019, particularly as we see how the recreational market unfolds in Canada. Uh, So I think there's going to be a lot more um, dialogue and a lot more strategy. Um, And I think, you know, in my opinion, I think this is a catalyst uh, for an accelerated timeline in the U.S. to fully legalize.
1: So, Bruce Linton, the CEO of Canopy Growth, just got—or not just, but—but but about a month or so ago, um, got a massive infusion of capital, a huge investment from Constellation of over four billion dollars. I mean, that, he is—he is King Midas, sitting on a mountain of cash. Where do you think he's going to deploy it?
2: That's a good question. Um, I mean, certainly the company—it's too early to you know pay a dividend. Uh but <laughs> not,
1: not yet. Yeah, No dividends on there's no
2: earnings. So. Yeah, right, right. so uh we're not there yet. Um but I would say um there's a multitude of opportunities and and, and different types of scenarios. Uh perhaps, you know, you know, I do believe there'll be a lot of consolidation with the LPs because if you think about it, there's about over a hundred licensed producers right now in Canada. You know, not everybody is, not all these operations are scalable. So perhaps he picks some of the better ones and just, you know, sweeps them up. Um, That's one possibility. Perhaps, you know, some of that capital is deployed um, into, Um, you know, an acquisition of some other brand. I mean, they have a nice catalog of, of, of product offerings, but you know, there's always something else out there. If you
1: you look at the U S market, right. And the aggregate of all of the plant touching companies, he could buy the entire United States, all of the public companies, all of the public companies in in America and still have like $2 billion left over. Do you think he's trying to figure out how to spend down south of the border? Or is he really only going to look north?
2: Uh, I would think he, you know, he's probably looking everywhere. So I don't believe he would discount. But I think that there are restrictions, if I'm not mistaken, on investing a Canadian company investing directly in a U.S. company. Um, I as, am I right on that? You're right.
1: No, you're right on that. But there's always wait, look. I hate to say it, but when it comes to Wall Street, there was never a rule that wasn't meant to be either broken or at least bent. Right. So yep. there there may be restrictions on the money now. But, I, you know, the if Goldman inv- advised on the deal, I'm sure that there you've got some Goldman guys who are looking at every rule going, hmm, I wonder if we can do this or I wonder if we can do that. Of course. Of course.
2: You know, and, and granted, they were on the other side of that transaction because they were on the, you know, the consolation brand side. Yeah. But still, come on. You know, you got to believe that all these guys are looking, sitting down and strategizing. No doubt about it. They're ready to move. They're ready to rock and roll for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, the banks are all you know especially the 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 canadian banks like canadian banks like canaccord and and gmp and others are have a ton of 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 U S companies that are in queue to list on the, the Canadian stock exchange. Right. And they're tapping into all this institutional money. Um, mostly in Canada and then some in Europe. Um, do you think that there's a, a, a growing investor fatigue that's developing? Like people are saying, oh, I, I've had it. I've eaten all the cannabis companies I can, I'm full. Or do you think there's still an insatiable a- appetite for the new issuers?
2: I think it's going to be increasingly more difficult to get these deals done but having said that, I think the better players won't have a problem. I think Acreage is a home run, personally. Um, I think, you know, there's a, a few, perhaps others as well. Um, but, you know, it seems like in vogue now, oh, let's just go to Canada and list and, you know, cash out. But no, I don't think so. I think, I think there is an element of fatigue. Uh, but, you know, Kareem always rises to the top, and I think the better players will still succeed in that effort.
1: I think that Canada that, that there there can only be so much institutional money in Canada, right? Like there's like there's like 37, 38 million people there. There's fewer people in Canada than California, but but you know I know these guys are, are marketing deals all over the world, and if they go to Germany or they go to Sweden or Switzerland, there's got to be. I mean they they they're looking at this, going, holy shit, this is a huge market. Um, I, my gut says that that there will be for the next five, six, seven months anybody who goes public should have the ability to make their deal done. You know, they may, it may take them longer, but I don't think anybody's going to be like, I wanted to raise 50 and I only raised 25. I, I I don't think any of those, I personally, I don't think that's going to happen. Not that I know, but you know, that's my, you can, you can bet on whatever I say, you know, and, and lose.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, there's so much going on and it, it, that's very likely. And, uh, you know, conversely, I've heard that there have been a couple companies that have tried and they've been a little bit more stringent on getting through. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've some companies have backed off, uh, but that could just be a function of the company, not necessarily you know of the demand for yeah. you know better companies. So I you know it, it's hard to say.
1: I think you're right. I think it's the good company. You, you said it. The cream will rise, yep. and it will get skimmed off, right? And the, the the and we can then switch to a different plant or a different thing and say the chaff will fall. So. Um, and and sticking with the the uh, the farm theme, let's gather wool for a second, shall we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, if I don't make a, at least one really bad cheesy dad joke in episode, you know, I keep, people will get pissed.
2: Okay, uh, and I have a couple up my sleeve too. So if you get, oh, you know, bring you run out, look, uh, sure. You
1: sure. know, you can tap out. You can tap in anytime. <laughs> you know, bad jokes are
2: are fine. Well, yeah. we didn't talk. We didn't talk about joint ventures
1: uh uh-uh. <laughs> OK, we will. We'll get there. Um, so. So, look, I, I, I've said for the last couple months that I actually think that there's a good chance that in October, Donald Trump will reschedule the cannabis. He'll take it from schedule one to schedule two or schedule three and, and be able to turn around and look in the camera and say, see the Republicans legalized weed and it will drive everybody nuts. Right. And it's it because it pulls so high that. Um, you know, it, 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 it's like the only thing that every American agrees on that legal cannabis in some form or cannabis should be legal in some form or another. Um, what do you think would happen if he reschedules before the November elections?
2: Well, pers- first of all, a couple things. Number one, there is something coming down the pike very soon from the DEA with regards to Epidiolex. Epidiolex is the drug that was recently approved by the FDA that is manufactured by GW Pharma this drug is derived directly from the cannabis plant it's not synthetically created uh, so because the FDA uh, approved this drug it removes the argument uh, or it, it, it distorts the argument that um, uh, schedule one drugs have no medicinal benefit this drug is used to, to help children with uh, to to eliminate or to um, to reduce the number of seizures experienced by children with epilepsy yep. so okay so now we agree Agree, okay. Well, you know what? This does have medicinal benefits. So now we cannot call this a schedule one. So the question becomes what happens? I believe it's you no know, uh, September twenty-fifth because it was June
1: twenty-fifth. Ninety days.
2: Yep. Yeah, so we we're, we're really coming on that on
1: that date. Um, and which, by the way, you, you have now completely revealed my my Wizard of Oz thinking, right, because I saw the 90 days and I said he's going to use this to his advantage. So, yeah, yeah, you y- you outed me.
2: <laughs> you, you think you, you mean Trump using it to his advantage?
1: Yes, 100 percent that he's going to be forced to do it by the FDA. So then he's going to turn around and say, I did this. That's that's what I was actually thinking. Just think, well he
2: might they might just say, Okay, epidialects is a schedule three or whatever they determine. Like they might just leave everything else alone for now. Um, so and which I think might just be what happens right now. Uh, but I do think uh, this the Canadian market will accelerate the timeline for the Trump administration not to necessarily reschedule because you know, it's not really going to be beneficial to the rec market if it's rescheduled. We really need to have it, you know, just delisted. And I and I say why I think it's likely because if you think about it, we have U.S. multinational companies stepping in. now, Or there's the perception or the speculation that the Coca-Colas of the world are, are you know, vying for an investment opportunity to put CBDs in their beverages and they need to get that from Canada. And there's, you know tons of other opportunities, uh, soft drink companies in the U.S., other multinational companies, not just in soft beverage, but whatever else, um, where CBDs will be a welcomed additive. And why should we sit back? Why should America sit back and watch Canada reap the benefits? Why should the Canadians get the U.S. multinational companies investment dollars? I think it's wrong. I think we should just, you know, make it legal here and let us lead in this category.
1: I mean, we lead in consumption. We lead in production. We should lead in that as well, right? Yep, absolutely. So, so let's stick with politics for a minute. Um, you know, it looks like the the polling in Michigan, um, where there is a, a, it's on the ballot for adult use. It's it's something like sixty percent right now, favorite. So it looks like it's going to pass. Um, you know, everything that we're hearing out of New Jersey is that there will be legislation. Um, literally going through the the, the 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 House and the Senate in New Jersey, and Phil Murphy, the governor, has said he will sign legislation. And if that happens, you know that Andrew Cuomo is going to do it, like, right away. So th- it, it all looks like, you know, it's if, to me it looks like this is like a done deal. But when do you think it's going to be legal in some form or another in all 50 states?
2: Oh, so basically how we determine our market size, we do believe that over the next three to four years or three yep three and a half to five years. Um, Every state will be fully legal, uh, will be either medical only or fully legal, but every state will have at least a medical program. And I really do not think that's unrealistic given that right. As we sit today, we're at 30 States, we have Utah coming on board and there's a lot of dialogue in the remaining States. Um, It's not like a dead
1: Texas has Texas has like this tiny little program. It's going to, can you imagine how much bigger is the market going to be when Texas is, is legal?
2: several billion dollars um I don't have my model right in front of me right now but I could tell you um, and I do have that factored in and which is why my you know green wave estimates are higher than the streets no pun intended because <laughs> um, how to put that? Um, because we factor in anticipation of states ramping up. And so we did that way back when we launched in 2014. We anticipated California. So our estimates were higher then. California hit. And now we're, you know, we're moving in that trajectory where other states are coming online. And we have, you know, New York and Michigan. We're very optimistic that all these other state ballot initiatives We'll we'll prove out. Um, And if we're wrong on one or two states, I don't think it's going to materially change our numbers. Um, But, you know, we are really looking, taking the ball to the end of prohibition. And when prohibition ends, you know, then when everything's full bloom, it's much, much more significant.
1: So how big do you think that market is when when we are when when it is a fully mature cannabis market where you've got everything from from edibles to like literally everything? How big is the market in the U S and, and like, I would say, and if you include CBDs, so this, so
2: this is the thing, right? So like, if you look at just like, you know, cannabis type of products just for recreational use, mm-hmm. uh, that's probably, I mean, I would say it's gotta be at least 75 to hundred billion dollars. Um, because I do think the medical market, and this is part of our thesis, is that medical marijuana as it exists today will be recalibrated and redefined And medical marijuana will be what's available at a pharmacy, just you know, like epidiolex and things right. that are proven. And, and every state is merging their medical and rec market uh, because it's for all intent and purposes, in many cases, the same product. And it's not cost effective from the state standpoint to regulate two separate markets. You know, why do you need to have two protocols and two, you know, oversights for basically the same thing? So just put it under one regime. And if you have a medical card, you get some kind of a discount
1: and so forth. I I think you're I think you may be actually underestimating it because if it gets um, where there's uh, reinsurance reimbursement for it. Right. And it is used. For um, anxiety and pain, and like, think about—I don't know—how big is the market for over-the-counter nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories? Right? How big is the market for um, Valium and any of the other um, uh, uh, anti-anxiety medications? I mean, those are those; those have to be five billion-dollar markets, and each, if not more. So, you, you may be underestimating the size of the market.
2: Well, I think in those cases, those like the anti-anxiety medications, like those, most of those are prescription medications. So yep. that is, that's what I'm talking about, like how you would define like a rec market
0: uh, oh, okay, without, even
2: really get, without even really giving consideration. <clears throat> and I do think like with, in terms of like insurance, um, I think the insurance companies are going to be a lot, very stringent or they're going to really you know, be um, more defined on 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 and how um, or what they will allow as, as a definition of chronic pain, because I could see what could happen. Everybody's going to say they have a backache. Let me get some pot. And, you know, there we go. I mean, how could the insurance company support that? So I think, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about that and what is allowed and what isn't allowed personally I think what they would allow is what is true medical marijuana um, and not something that's a pseudo recreational drug
1: and it probably won't be and it probably won't be in a flower form I mean it'll be in an oil or a pill or or something say so it'll be in the it'll be in the form factors that they are used to approving
2: yes I, w- I would agree with that and we really don't know at this point the other part of the you know it, the, there's a lot of still unknowns in this industry I mean we could kind of Figure it out. I mean, take educated guesses on how this will all play out. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're still at the very early inning. The other thing are the other what we would people uh, categorize as
1: can. I'm sorry, can you repeat what, that? I
2: think you were uh, a product. Oh, yes. So basically, that would be, you know, a product that you would get at the drugstore over the counter. But then that begs the question you know, are these products already existing and then all you're doing is putting some CBDs in them? Um, so, I mean, so do you, do you consider that like, you know, an additional market? So for example, even like with the soft um, soft beverage or the beverage companies, Coca-Cola, Pepsi and so forth. Okay, say that's a hundred billion dollar market. Are you, and now we put CBDs in that. Is that now, do you add that to the whole CBD market? Um, I don't know, you know, you're kind of double counting there in terms of an industry sizing.
1: All right. So let me, I got to ask a a completely different question. Um, have you ever had more fun in your career than you're having now?
2: No, but I've made a hell of a lot more money, (laughs) 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 but, um, no, I, I, um, I, 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 really do enjoy what I'm doing. And, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting for me, uh, because, and one thing I didn't mention early on is you know besides the research and the analysis, part of the other service offering that Greenway provides is providing due diligence, um, consulting services, valuation. We're involved in a lot of different things, um, but I think most important uh, for what I'm doing now is my auditing background because numbers are thrown all over the place. There's different data points. Um, you really need human intelligence to kind of try and figure it out, what makes sense. And really, I think it will be it's very helpful to investors to know that whatever they're investing in, somebody has kind of read between the lines and asked the probing questions. And anybody contemplating any type of investment, I think, should really make sure that they have, you know, the right due diligence team in place, because there certainly are a lot of snakes in the grass
1: okay so we are at the point in the show where we do puff puff pass where I'd like you to just name really quickly the two things that you're really like loving about the industry and the one thing that kind of drives you nuts
2: um, sure I, I think you know what I really 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 love about the industry right now and that I have you know really from day one is the level of energy and enthusiasm and even more now the level of creativity and ingenuity because we're getting a lot more, mainstream type of professional stepping in that are, you know, bringing in ideas and in that creative thought process from other industries into cannabis. So it's very exciting now. Um, I would also say what I really do enjoy about this industry and what I really applaud the industry for, it's, it's very inclusive. Um, it does not discriminate as far as I could see. Um, the doors are open to everybody. Um, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter anything um, because we there's a big need for professionals. So those are two things that I think um, are very appealing to me right now. Um, and I think, you know, on the downside, what I would say, which I think is going to, you know, kind of resolve itself. It's starting to already. Um, but, you know, understandably, there are a lot of charlatans that still remain in the industry um but you know it's just a matter of time before they're weeded out Uh, again no pun but um
1: All right. Well, Hey man, I really enjoyed, um, getting to chat with you. Um, I think what you guys are doing at green wave is awesome. I, I, I would highly recommend anybody, um, to follow Matt. Um, and I'll, you know, when I do the outro, I'll, I'll give all of your, uh, contact information. Um, but, but what, what you are doing with green wave advisors is really cool and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me.
2: Oh, my pleasure. And you guys are doing a great job yourselves. And, uh, I look forward to uh, speaking again.
1: Awesome. Thanks again to our guest, Matt Carnes, who is the founder and managing partner of Green Wave Advisors. Um, follow the good work that he's doing. Um, you can go on his website, which is greenwaveadvisors.com. That's all one word. Or you can follow him on Twitter, which is at Green Wave MJ. He can also be found on LinkedIn um, at Green Wave advisors. Uh, next week, Will be at the Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo in LA, and next week is uh, September 27th. I will be hosting a panel, actually talking about the intersection of cannabis and the capital markets with some of our past guests, including William uh, Simpson, the CEO of Golden Leaf, MPX's Best Stavola, Forefront's Chris Crane, and MTEX's Tahira Ramatula. Um, I think this is going to be really cool. We're going to actually tape the the panel conversation and turn it into a, a special episode that we will. Um, uh, uh be publishing in the next couple of weeks should make for a really interesting conversation um and and I just you know I, I know we say this every week but we can't say say it enough thank you for listening you know when we started this podcast we never assumed that we would get a really big following and you know there are now a lot of people who are paying attention to uh, to, to us and more importantly to our guests um so if you have the option, and you can, that little subscribe button there, please do that. And give us a rating and review on iTunes or on Stitcher or, or wherever you're listening to it. And uh, if you have a question or a comment, Ann and I would love to hear us, hear from you. So you can either check us out on Twitter and Instagram at KCSA underscore cannabis. Or you can shoot us an email um, at greenrush at KCsa.com. That's one take, Shay. One take take.